Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to the Run It Up podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and also check out our socials, which are Run It Up Official on Instagram. And we also got Run It Up Podcast on Instagram as well. Please check out those pages, like, follow, subscribe. Also, jump on runitup.com.au. Check out everything we got there. Stay up to date. We got our merch, tees, hoodies, uh, shorts as well. Check it out, guys, and appreciate the support. Today's podcast is all about finance. She is the founder and editor of the How To Money podcast and also the How To Money website online, which I really recommend you guys check out. They got everything you need when it comes to investing, starting money conversations, saving money, financial products, financial services, everything you want to know when it comes to managing and help grow your finances. My guest today is Kate Campbell. It all kind of, I don't know, it just gets (laughs) mumbled up a bit. But, um, yeah, no worries. I think yeah. your face is frozen. Is it? Oh, okay. Still frozen? Yeah. Then I said my internet connection's unstable, but I thought I was on the best internet. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, Australian internet was always a bit dodgy anyway. Yeah, I mean, I'm paying extra $30 for like the super fast NBN and yeah. still having issues. So I don't know. Seems like a bit of a scam. <laughs> they'll get it right. Well, they'll get it right one day eventually. Yeah, hopefully. We'll be on to like five generations, like 10G by the time they sort of work out the NBN. Exactly. So, Katie, it's really nice having you on the podcast. Um, Of course, you have your own podcast, the How To Money Money podcast, which I came across, I think, about a few years ago when I was just um, trying to build up or like get a bit of knowledge about um, starting like my financial journey in terms of like savings and investing and whatnot. And I found your came, came across your podcast, and it was really it wasn't just informative, but it was almost um, the guests you had on, and the way just the way you delivered the content was really easy to understand as well. Because um, you know I don't really come from a financial background, so when when you think about finance and whatnot, it can like be overwhelming straight off the bat with you know so many avenues and looking at the stock market. And just seeing all thousands and thousands of numbers getting pushed through every day <laughs> and all the lingo as well. And it was really interesting. And I really wanted to learn a lot more about um, how to invest. And your podcast is absolutely amazing. Yeah, thank you. I, um, I guess I started it in 2017 now. It's a very long time ago, it feels like, um, just to share my journey as I was learning about it, because it wasn't. Back in 2017, I don't think podcasts had taken over yet. And so there weren't many finance podcasts out there. So I sort of created the thing that I wish I could have found back then. And uh, I guess it's kind of gone on from them. And it's it's kind of a, just a, a fun project that I get to talk to people that I'm really interested on and learn from them because uh, it's a good excuse to talk to all these really great professionals for an hour uh, that would have probably not talked to you otherwise. So I mean, it's it's been a fun journey and it's it's a good way to keep learning about different finance topics and also share that conversation with anyone who wants to listen for free. Yeah, of course. It's really, it's always really um, interesting, interesting as well when, say, if you wanted like a consultation with a financial expert or a financial advisor, you'd kind of have to scrape a little bit of coin together 
as opposed mm. to, you know, just even just asking someone on to join your uh, a podcast as a guest, they're a little bit more inclined to say yes as well. Yeah, like someone that would like cost $500 an hour to speak to, you can chat to for free on a podcast, which is, which is fantastic. Yeah, it's really, really beneficial and almost surprising as I've started podcasting, like how many people you think wouldn't say yes because of their, or not so much their status, but also like their schedule, that they've got mm. a full-time job as well. They've probably got a family as well. And they're just making time for even someone they've never met before as well. Yeah, I've found that most people, I've had a few few no's from people, but most, I felt like at least 90% of people say yes to coming on a podcast. So, I mean, while that keeps up, it's, it's a great time to run a podcast. Exactly. I totally agree. So how did you come about creating your own podcast and wanting to share all this financial information? Yeah, so I came out of high school and actually entered the defense force straight away because I um I just I'd done army cadets throughout high school and thought that was where I wanted to go, but after about a year and a half I realized I was hopeless at directions and was not going to be an air traffic controller for the life of me. So I I came out and um got a sort of an entry level job at a a startup, a finance startup in the city, um, in a invoice finance. So I, I didn't even know what that was. So I just had to sort of Google it, uh, read the Wikipedia before the interview. But um, yeah, I was interested. I was not interested in finance at all before that. And so suddenly getting thrown in the deep end in the world of finance, um, it really made me start learning and wanting to know a bit more. And I guess the journey sort of started from there and working with different people in the industry, I realized hey, I actually want to know a bit more about uh, money and how to use it and how to invest. And I guess like a lot of people do, I went down the rabbit hole of reading everything I could online, borrowing books from the library. Um, I wasn't really watching YouTube videos because there probably weren't too many back in 2017 about finance, but um, and there weren't too many podcasts. But yeah, it's just going down the rabbit hole and starting to pick out common threads because, I mean, everyone's got their own perspective and point of view when it comes to money, but if you read enough books and blogs and content, you can pull out the common sort of fundamentals out of that underneath all the bias and everyone's angles and everyone's businesses. Yeah, like that's really, really important because to find sort of financial information, you know, it can be overwhelming, like I said before, Mm. because there is so many different avenues so you could, start investing property, renting or buying. You can dive into the share market or you can even probably dive into some other new emerging <laughs> finance element as well. Yeah. Um, did you always, what really intrigued you more about learning finance? Was it more like this is an area I don't know too much particularly about? Um, I think it, it probably was after I did my first tax return, after earning money for a whole year, I realized I hadn't saved a cent. Um, And I realized at that point that uh, I probably don't want to keep going forward and get to the end of every financial year, realizing I'd saved nothing when I had actually earned some money. And I probably realized I didn't want to just be a hundred percent a consumer in the economy. I did want to have some savings. Um, And I probably in my, at the very start of my journey, before I sort of even got into investing, I really just started with the emergency fund and getting the sort of the three to six months of expenses put aside. And so that was because I didn't have too much debt coming straight out of high school. 
Um, that was probably the first thing for me, um, getting that emergency fund sorted. And then I slowly started to learn about investing. I probably started the way a lot of young people do, just jumping into some um, hot stocks and just uh, buying and selling a bit on a regular basis, not really knowing what I'm doing. And then I kind of realized after a few months, hey, that's not really what investing is. And that's probably not what I want to keep doing. One, it's very time consuming. Two, I don't know what I'm doing. Three, I seem to be um, giving other people just as much money as I was making. And I was uh, making the bank pretty rich on brokerage fees. So I guess I that was probably one of my initial mistakes. But since I didn't have too much money back then, I didn't have too much to lose. So I'm quite glad I went through that back then because it really sort of helped me work out the way I want to invest. Um, and I got to make the mistakes with only a small amount of money. So I didn't have too much to lose. Um, so it's that's one of the great things about starting investing early is you can make those mistakes with small amounts of money rather than if you wait 10 or 20 years to invest and suddenly you're dealing with a much bigger pile of money, well, hopefully, um, and you've got more riding on it. So I, I think that's one of the, the best things that I've learned is yeah, starting early, make a few mistakes when you're young. But I mean, in the last few years, there's so much more information out there. There's some fantastic podcasts that are run by great people in the industry. There's there's things popping up on YouTube um, and, and there's so many more books and websites and free courses. So for people that are starting learning about money now, you don't have to go down as deep of a rabbit hole, I think, as I did. Um, and that takes a lot of time. So you can actually pick some great resources and sort of speed up your journey, I think, nowadays. Yeah, I think that's really important as well. Like you said, um, rather than um, doing that trial and error, finding that information that kind of resonates with you. Mm. Um, before I invested in my first uh, bunch of shares, I read a book. Uh, I can't remember the bloke's name. The Barefoot Investor. Oh, yeah. Australia's favourite book. I think yesterday yeah. there was an article saying it's sold 2 million copies now. It's just yeah. insane. Yeah. So I really enjoyed that book. It was pretty, pretty easy to read and digest the information. Mm-hmm. But also we had quite a few testimonials for like each chapter, which made it really kind of strengthen the points he was making. But yeah. um, he did highlight one particular share, the Australian Investment Foundation, I think, the AFI. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I, take, I took a look at that and whatnot. And then I also jumped on because I was aware of your podcast and your website, which has a lot of articles about investing as well, which I think is super important as well because they're easy to read. They're not too too long in detail. Mm-hmm. And what I really didn't know was um, it's not just about investing and getting the returns. It's also about you want to assess how much risk you're going to take as well, which I thought, I didn't really think of that. I only thought about one, one side of the coin where like, I was thinking, how much am I going to make? How fast am I going to make it? And, <laughs> I, and I didn't really think about, oh, every time you um, spend a bit of money in the Australian stock market, there's a brokerage fee. Brokerage fee. Mm-hmm. Every time you sell it, there's a brokerage fee. And then plus capital gains on that as well, which I wasn't too, too aware of. And I really found it, helpful that I read up on what things to look at in investing as well, because if you ever go in the um, Australian stock market or any 
um, exchange market, there is a lot of statistics. There are a lot of numbers and files and just reading up on it from your website, knowing which, like what to look at, kind of like the returns, the dividend, if they offer dividend reinvestment plans as well, which I wasn't too sure. So before mm-hmm. even making that first investment, I did a whole bunch of research on how to assess risk, what to look for, and then obviously reading reading that book, the Barefoot book. And funny enough, it, the, the Australian, uh, the AFI is actually a really low, really low buying share as well, which was super interesting and probably a very smart first investment as well. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things to think about when you're getting started. It definitely can get overwhelming because when you're when you're just buying the brokerage accounts, just let you set up an account and buy a share. They don't make you work through all the things that you should know about. I mean, they just have, there's a lot of assumed knowledge there when you go to buy a share, they don't hold your hand. And there's, yeah, all, as you mentioned, all the things like capital gains tax and income tax that people really need to be aware of um, because you could be having a lot of fun and s- spending every dollar that you make from buying and selling shares and then you don't uh, realise that you've got to put some money aside uh, for the tax man. Um, and, and, yeah, things like brokerage fees. I mean, like on one of the big platforms in Australia, Comsec, if you're purchasing over $1,000 of shares, you're paying $19.95 on the way in and on the way out. Uh, plus, if you're investing in like an exchange traded fund or a listed investment company, which you were, you've got management fees as well on top of that. Um, so there's so many things to look out for. So it's good to do some research before you jump into the deep end. And I think taking a step back and taking, um, yeah, just spending like a month, like learning all the basics before you dive in also stops you making an impulse decision when someone... Um, one of your neighbours recommends a hot stock for you as well. So if you you take a step back and go, I've got to actually understand some of the basics, then, yeah, it probably stops you making as impulsive first investment as you could do. And just on top of that, um, I think think particularly for some of my friends as well, but uh, perhaps for a lot of other younger Australians trying to get into investing in the exchange, like exchange market, it's, it's not so much that stocks rise rise up rise and fall as quickly as people you know watch wolf of wall street and it's almost <laughs> like every every day for them is a high point every day in the market is it's just going up and up and up rather than in reality it's more like it's more like a marathon it kind of it kind of goes at its own pace no matter what and then to circle back to the um the barefoot investor book the way he he gave a few examples. We gave multiple examples of um, the financial crisis, few world wars, and a few global pandemics, and even this one. How the the stock market just keeps on. It will keep on going, but it would also it may take a downfall, but in reality, it always works itself back into fruition, which mm. I, I I wasn't too aware of either because you know people probably hear that you know buying shares in whatever company it is it's almost again you're almost gambling your money away a lot of people a lot of people say i reckon as well yeah and it definitely there's so many like you could be investing in a really tiny company um with only a 10 million dollar market 
cap. So there's $10 million invested in that company and it could just be searching for gold and it, they can run a whole company on the fact that they're looking for gold. They haven't actually found any yet. So like there's a lot of companies or like biotechnology companies where they're trying to invent something. They don't have a patent yet. They don't have um, health department approval yet. They're just trying to create something. So there's a lot of small companies on the exchange. There's thousands of companies alone listed in Australia. And, and that's not like looking at overseas or anything. Like there's so many companies listed that you can buy. Uh, there's a lot of companies that you shouldn't buy. Um, and yeah, there are plenty of companies that it would be a gamble, but then there's also, you've got your large Australian businesses like BHP and CBA that everyone knows about. So it's very different buying one of those to buying a very speculative, uh, technology company. And I guess what you've got to think about when you're investing, um, if you're investing in shares and exchange traded funds and listed investment companies, you're actually investing in Australian businesses and global businesses. These are companies that employ people, they have products, they have services, um, they're doing things every day, they've got customers. So I think if you start thinking about it from that perspective, it does start to change the way you think about investing because you're putting your money in a business that is trying to grow, that's trying to keep selling products that's trying to innovate. So um, if you're thinking about investing from that perspective, and also another good thing is to think about diversification. It's a bit hard when you're just getting started with $500 or $1,000, but not putting all your eggs in one basket. It's very, um, it's a very common saying in the industry, but actually thinking, well, I'm not going to put all of my money into one single share. I'm going to spread the risk out by investing in multiple different companies. And so for some investors, that looks like 20 to 30 different companies. And for investors that use listed investment companies or exchange traded funds, you actually get access to a whole basket of companies. So you could invest in an exchange traded fund that um, gives you access to the top 200 shares in the Australian market. And then you don't have to go and decide, I want to have uh, BHP or CBA or whatever share you want, you can actually invest $500 in an exchange trader fund. And then that gives you exposure to the top 200 companies. And uh, I've definitely got more information on exchange trader funds on my website. And because there's a lot to get into there and a lot to research, but um, there definitely are ways that you can easily diversify with your first $500 or $1,000 and really lower that risk of investing in one company that could completely uh, go broke. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, because when, you know, you hear your friends or family, family members or friends of friends when they start talking about, oh, this particular stock has gone up the past seven days, 10 days, but it's more, more so do they just only see that stock going up? Do they actually mm -hmm. see what's been going on behind like previous um, previous years? Like, is that the only time it's gone up? And I think, I think that's, that's what a lot of people who aren't too uh, well equipped in investing, they only see, or they only kind of want to see how much a particular stock can go up in a certain amount of time, rather than, like you said, assessing risk, actually mm. knowing, and even knowing which which um platform to use for investing, because there is there's a what thousands or hundreds of thousands of um, apps you can just download on your phone, and then on the other hand you can you can also use your whatever bank you're with as well. 
Mm. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely a lot of people come to investing and start to learn about investing uh, because there's something that's going up, whether it's a, a cryptocurrency, whether it's afterpay stock, whether it's um, the GameStop saga over the last few weeks, people often hear about investing and the, the concept of buying something that could go up when something is going up. And I guess the other perspective is when there's a market crash and then a lot of people hear about investing and then that sort of scares them off. So people don't hear about the boring bits of investing, the every day that I'm investing in this company over the next 10 to 20 years um, to grow my wealth over time. They only hear about investing when something's shooting for the moons or something's crush, like plummeting to earth. And so they might only sort of think about investing as something can just go crazy up or crazy down and not the fact that over a long period of time, the stock market does go up. And one of the great resources to have a look at is um, the government, our regulator ASIC actually has a website called Money Smart, and they have a compound interest calculator. So you can have a look at the average returns of the investment market over time. Like one of the common thing is like 7% per annum over a 10-year time frame. And you can actually put how much money you've got now to invest. And you can say, I want to invest $10,000 each year, and it will actually show you what your returns could look like over a 20 and 30-year time frame. So that can get you starting to think about long-term investment horizons rather than just sort of how much you can make overnight. Because investing can completely change your life over a 20, 30-year time frame. But if you're trying to uh, get rich overnight, that's usually where people <laughs> lose all their money. There's one or two that do it well, the people that are first or uh, the people that get lucky. But for most people, trying to get rich overnight is going to lead to having a $0 bank balance rather than um, having a million dollars over the next 20 or 30 years. Yeah, I totally agree because once you start investing, you almost kind of want to check check your phone, check that particular stock mm. every every 10 minutes. And it's almost like a – it can be a bit emotionally draining as well when it's it's starting to go up and then it just keeps going down for the next couple of days, down, down. And then you kind of – you kind of get two, two sets of mind at the same time thinking, should I sell or should I keep it? It's only been – X amount of days as well, which I, I guessing mm. I'm guessing that can put people a bit make people a bit anxious as well. Yeah, I mean, looking at your your brokerage account every day, seeing oh that stock went up two percent, that means I've lost a hundred dollars, or it went up five percent. Should I sell? Making thinking about that every day is totally a draining process. And I mean, after just like doing that for a couple of months, I knew that was not the way I wanted to do it. Um, a lot of people think they could make a living doing day trading and as some people do, but for most people, day trading is not a good idea. And the best investment process is a long-term approach where you can sort of set and not forget, but set and review your strategy. And you probably say to yourself, I'm going to review this on a monthly basis or a quarterly basis rather than checking it every day. And there are a lot of people, um, if they want to invest over long-term, they'll even take off the brokerage account from their phone so they can't make any impulse decisions. I mean, you can make so many impulse decisions on your phone. You can just buy things from Amazon on the spot. It's probably a good idea not to be able to buy or sell investments on the spot from your phone um, and adding a bit of friction there if you want to sort of have a long-term uh, plan. And so you're not looking at it every day and you're not letting the very small up and down of a 1%, 2% sort of start to make you anxious. Um, but then there's like the two different approaches. You could have the sort of 
more set and review strategy of investing in exchange traded funds and things for a long-term horizon. Or there's other people who want to do the research and invest directly in companies and build their own portfolio. And that's a perfectly valid path, but that's going to take a lot more time and energy and research. So you're going to have to be prepared to put the time into researching those companies and working all of that out. And that's not really the approach I take predominantly just because I've got a lot of other things I want to do. I don't want to spend 10 hours researching one company, but there's plenty of resources online. And and even where I work for Rask Australia, we've got plenty of free courses on how to actually research and value direct shares. Um, And so that's definitely a path, but it's going to take more time. So I guess you've got to work out how much time do you want to put into your investments and which approach you want to take. Yeah, very, very well said. It's more about exactly what you said, time, time to let it grow, time to Mm. just let it get its own momentum and whatnot. Um, So having your own podcast and website about finance, do you get a lot of people sending you messages about weird financial advice, like their own little financial tips and tricks that are just kind of some some may sound good, but a little bit bogus as well? Yeah, I think a lot of people want to sell something. So you have a lot of people trying to spruik some various thing, whether it's a property scheme or a multi-level marketing scheme. Um, There's a lot of that going on. Um, And a lot of people, if they think they've invested in the next great stock, they might want to tell you about it to get you involved as well. Um, But I think a lot of people over the last few years, I've definitely seen people become more interested in a whole in financial education um, and learning more and taking control of their time and money. And I guess that's probably why there's even more podcasts now because there's sort of an audience for everyone. Um, and a lot more people are trying to take charge, which is fantastic to see. And it's it's definitely the questions I'm getting are getting more sophisticated and more in depth and people wanting to learn more. And I guess people are, um, they're also sort of starting to think more about the fees and costs of things. And so a lot of people are not really going to an advisor to start with. They're doing their own research and maybe waiting until they get to a point where it makes sense for them to see a financial advisor because the, the initial costs can be quite uh, prohibitive for some people. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, how do you defer or how do you break up which advice, financial advice that you get, how do you break up and say, this this has a higher tier, this doesn't sound quite right. How do you separate which advice makes a lot, a lot of sense? Like from the information that I might read online or receive from people, like how do I fact check it? Is that yeah. what you're kind of asking? Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess for me, I always try and get information from different sources and I'll try and see multiple points of view. So if someone's talking about... Um, like I don't know what someone said recently, but like say they think emerging markets is a really good sector to invest in for the next 10 years, then I would go off and actually research that, find some different perspectives from fund managers and things, different pieces of research. Um, I'd yeah look at people that were pro that statement and like against that statement. So I could sort of build a well-rounded picture. Um, and then there's just so much information nowadays. So I think you do have to become your own fact checker and it's hard because there's like there's statistics but then people can take those statistics and provide completely different stories and narratives around them so 
Um, I think you've got to use a bit of common sense, um, find different perspectives um, and really focus um, on what's going to work for you because there's a piece of financial advice might be the perfect solution for one person and it might be a terrible solution for someone else. And I guess that's why financial advice is so highly regulated in Australia, that to get financial advice from an advisor, they have to ask you many questions. They have to look through everything. They have to provide you this whole statement of advice, um, partly to cover their side on compliance. Um, and that's why it's so expensive because of the, the compliance and regulation. And there's actually a lot of work involved before they can provide you with personal recommendations that work for your scenarios. So, I mean, a lot of the times when you go online and you look at Australian um, maybe people on Twitter or YouTube talking about finance, you'll see this big disclaimer at the start that this is not personal advice, it's not meant for you, blah, blah, blah. Um, and that's because in Australia it's quite regulated compared to the US where you can say pretty much anything about finances and people actually give direct recommendations um, that's not really allowed in Australia. So things, everyone sort of sort of provides very generic statements. So you can find all the facts about exchange traded funds online, but for most people, they can't say you should invest in this one, which is going to work for you. So that's probably where you either have to do a lot of research and figure out what is the right thing for you, or you can see a financial advisor who might be able to go through everything and then provide you a personal solution. Um, so yeah, I guess that's why a lot of people are doing their own research before they might go to a financial advisor. So they know what questions to ask as well. Mm. Yeah. Cause it can, you really do need to have a bit of a trial and error rather than jump straight to a very expensive person to talk about X, Y, and Z. And you may not mm. even get all the questions answered that you wanted in that. How much is a consultation about 30 30 minutes to an hour even? Yeah, so you definitely want to know what questions you, by having a little bit of trial and error, you kind of figure out what questions do you want to ask, what things do you want help with, what potential direction do you want to head in so you can sort of give the advisor more of an indication so you can get a more personalised approach rather than um, just going to them and saying, sort my life out, I just, I don't know what to do, you take control. And I'm, I'm very much an advocate of, even if you do outsource everything in your life to financial advisors and accountants, which is completely okay, you should still have a good idea of what's happening with your money, where it's invested, um, the risk profiles and all of that sort of thing. So um, I guess it's quite different from a hairdresser where you might show them a picture and they just go and do it for you. You're not asking, you're not getting too involved in it. You don't really care about learning about how to cut hair. With money, um, I think it's quite different that, it's such a big decision and it's going to have such an impact on your life. And if you get it wrong, um, if you get it wrong in a really big way, like as a 20-year-old moving your super into cash for the next three decades, um, which was quite scary seeing some of that, some of that happen last year, um, it can have a much bigger impact on your life. So I'm very much that if you do use financial advisors, that's fantastic, but you should at, at least have some involvement in the process and a good advisor will try and educate you in the process. Like I'm, I'm definitely not an advisor. I haven't even <laughs> considered that path, but um, I, I think a good advisor would help you learn more as well and give you the resources and tools to feel confident in what you're doing. So if you are looking for an advisor, definitely make sure you see someone that make, doesn't make you feel dumb for asking any question and actually gives you the confidence and resources to empower yourself about money as well. Yeah, that's really, really important as well to 
just kind of have a grasp and a little bit of experience of mm. finance so you know you're not just going in there kind of unexpecting of what's going to happen so um going off that why why do you think people have a bit of a shy not sort of shyness but they're really reserved when they start to talk about money because um I don't know about you but when I was growing up well, I was still growing up <laughs> parents would, <laughs> always growing up <laughs> yeah parents would always say one of the things you don't talk about with people is money don't talk about how much they make as if I guess it kind of depends on how you say it because people may get offended they may think if they say their um, whatever yearly salary that you may kind of see them in a different perspective, what do you think it is such a kind of delicate topic with people? Yeah, I'm, I'm always amazed that people have such strong views like for or against sharing salaries. I'm, I think in the most part, I think it's a good thing to do. It, um, especially like with the gender pay gap, it helps a lot of people really understand what the floor is. And I think websites like, um, I think it's Glassdoor are quite helpful in that, that people post their salaries and their roles in their companies online. So you can kind of understand what a base level salary is in your industry. And it helps with salary negotiation too. But I think a lot of the sort of that shame of talking about money sort of stems for a lot of people from their childhood and their family and the way that money was talked about growing up. Um, and if there was a lot of, if you had struggles with money growing up, then money might be something now that you don't really want to think about much. You don't want to discuss because you associate money with a lot of bad things or things that went wrong or things that couldn't happen because money wasn't there. So um, I guess as we go into our 20s, it's really about thinking a lot about what our money mindset is and how we approach money and what our beliefs are, because that really impacts, even if we don't realize the way we deal with it, the way we invest. And I think if you don't think about your own approach to money and your own, um, yeah, your own beliefs about it, if you start investing without examining any of that, you might get yourself into a world of pain because you might not realize that you're really risk adverse because of situations that happen growing up. And so you might just start investing thinking all's fine and then a market correction happens and you're just physically ill seeing that your money's gone down 30%. Um, which I've, I've had people say that before, that they just couldn't sleep at night, they felt awful, they were throwing up because seeing them, their investments just go down 20 30%. And that's not something, not the position you want to be in. So I think, yeah, before you do a lot of things with money, thinking about your approach to it and um, how you actually consider risk and return and can you think about investing over a long-term horizon? Some people don't want to think about things over a 20 and 30 year time frame, and that's okay. So it's really about knowing all of that before you uh, start investing, um, which is really important. And I think it's also important that talking to your friends and family about money and investing when you get started, because it makes it, it's quite isolating to start investing by yourself and having no one to talk to. Um, so I, I think that's why there's so many Facebook groups now popping up because it gives people an opportunity to interact with other people and support each other along the journey because investing for a 20, 30 year time frame can it, like it goes on for a long time. So you actually need people that are going to support you and hold you accountable and keep you on top of your goals over that time frame. Yeah, that's really, really important. Um, I've also had like a recent thought about why people kind of don't want to share their maybe 
are a bit reserved with sharing their money advice is because to you know people are kind of slaving away for eight hours every day trying to make ends meet and having Mm. just trying to save money is so for some people it's 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 so hard but at the same on the other end of the spectrum to spend money is is so easy it's so easy to lose that Mm. day's salary in one or two purchases which i think i'm starting to think maybe a lot a lot of people have that kind of mindset as well of working so hard and then two purchases later it's it's pretty much gone and you're back to square one yeah i mean like i guess rent's a good way to think about that like you you might be working like your butt off for an entire month and then suddenly like half of two-thirds of your salary just disappears in an instant uh, in rent. And I think that sort of builds, it can build resentment, it can build like anger, it can build annoyance at the system. Like all those sort of feelings can pop up when you're having to um, spend money in a way that maybe you don't want to spend it uh, or you're having to spend it just because you have to have a roof over your head and, you know, don't particularly want to spend all your money on rent because you've got all these other goals and things you want to do, um, but you're having having to. So I think um, if you can't cut anything else out of your budget, I think the important thing is to focus on are there any possible ways you can increase your income because there's only so much you can cut out of your budget. I'm definitely not a fan of the cut out every latte and every sort of fun thing of your life um, to save a tiny bit extra. Uh, I don't want you to be miserable while working on your finances, but Um, A lot of people have found success through taking on side hustles and that could be just doing a few hours a week um, as an Uber Eats driver um, or it could be creating something or providing a skill that you're really good at. Uh, It could be anything from negotiating your salary, which I think is an important conversation to start having. Um, It could be that you can take on some extra hours, thinking of different ways that you can earn a little bit extra each week that you can put aside for your goals if you can't cut anything else out of your budget. Yeah, I really, I really agree with that because when you start making a bit of extra money or you're starting to save a bit of money, it's actually really, I don't know what kind of how to say it um, intrinsic, intrinsically, but you start to feel a lot more, I guess, happier and satisfied with yourself because you're seeing um, your savings grow and you get that mm. financial security, which... I can't remember which article I saw, but I think it was um, just paraphrasing people under 30 or definitely in their 20s when they had, when they start saving financial security is one of the top kind of like the top best feelings or like top desires that people want because it's such a, I don't really, uh, I don't know how to explain it until you actually start saving money and then you get that sense of financial security as well which for a lot of people it is important yeah I mean it's so empowering to go from living paycheck to paycheck to actually having three or six months of um, basic living expenses put aside in a savings account where you go whatever happens whatever life throws at me I've got that money there if I have to make an emergency flight to see a sick family member if I lose my job if anything happens and I think COVID has showed us like over the last year that anything can happen overnight and um, a lot of people last year were made redundant very quickly with very little notice the people that had that emergency fund at least didn't have to freak out 
about money immediately and they knew they had something to support their family and get by for the next few months until they worked out a better plan or landed on their feet, whatever happens. So I think, yeah, just I think that's a really great first step for anyone interested in taking control of their finances, having that emergency fund put aside because it really does empower you and give you confidence to do everything else. Yeah, because it, money is just so, it can be so powerful for some people. It can, a lot of money can make people really happy because now they can pay their mortgage, pay uh, utility bills, even have enough money to feed their family. But on the other end, you take a lot of money away for a lot of people and it can just crush them mentally. And it's such a, mm. it's such an interesting thing because I don't, there, there aren't too many tangible things I don't think that can make people so kind of like so polar with their emotions and how they feel about themselves as well. Mm. I definitely think there's been a big push in the last year or two. I've been seeing a lot more put into research and programs behind financial wellness. And I guess a big part of that is being on top of having that feeling of control and being able to pay your bills without having to stress each month. And that really impacts your overall finance, like, not just your financial well-being, but your overall well-being and everything interlinks. If you're having stress with money, then that stress often impacts your work life and your social life and everything else you do. So it's really important to just be able to at least feel comfortable with the way you manage your cash flow each month. Um, and that really impacts the rest of your life as well. Mm. Um, do you have any uh, thoughts on why they don't have subjects at school I've only been out of school five years, but I can only recall one time in a math class where we actually did some sort of kind of financial tasks, like financial education. And I still remember it was just a, it was just a one-off math class where the teacher said we got X amount of money. And then she, she said, you got to go, go on some website, find a car and then start budgeting kind of like a monthly or weekly budget and then add on mm. insurance, add on, all other like necessities and that, which I thought at the time, I thought it was just a bit of a bludge to pass the time. <laughs> but then in hindsight, when I think about it, um, that was the only time I've had experience at school where they've actually taught you a little bit about finance and it, real world finance as well, not just um, some sort of pass the time exercise. Yeah, I think for most people, their only exposure would have been in the, the school banking programs in primary school, which are which now are getting kicked out. Um, so, I, and in high school, even unless a school organizes a special program of like life skills or a finance speaker to come in, um, or sometimes I've heard people offer it in like commerce classes or things like that in high school, but for most people, it's not a subject. And the teachers I've spoken to said, well, Firstly, there's often no room in the curriculum to run this kind of thing. Secondly, teachers aren't equipped with these skills themselves. So expecting them to start teaching students about the basics of compound interest and shares and investing and property and taxes is not really like a fair expectation because even people I've met in the finance industry don't know the basics of a lot of these things because everything's very siloed. So um, I think the important thing is that I think the government's starting to get the message that they do need some sort of program. And there are companies, there's a, a great startup in New Zealand called Banker that I've seen recently, and they've got primary school and they're expanding to Australia as well, offering different online programs that 
teachers can kind of roll out in the classroom without having, and they can just facilitate the program. So I think, um, and, and also a lot of parents aren't equipped to teach this to their kids either. So it does make it quite challenging. Um, but I think some schools are starting to bring in more guest speakers to talk about different topics. And I think with the increase of online education, there'll be more um, schools sort of paying for online financial education courses that they can offer to their students and more and more companies are popping up offering this kind of thing so hopefully that's going to start to help equip more young people with some basic skills um, but but it is quite I think a niche thing to teach and it can be hard um, and I'm really sort of encouraging of people to just like once you've learned the basics can you do a little presentation for your local primary school or secondary school and actually help um, sort of disseminate some of these foundational uh, things like learning about that you have to do a tax return each year once you're getting paid and that um, learning about basics of compound interest, which I think I think at the age of maybe year 10 or year 11, students be pretty keen on learning about, but who knows? I, that was a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because as soon as about, uh, let's say, year 10 to year 12, you're almost at that ending of, your high school, um, your high school life, and then kind of once you leave high school, start to go to uni, you start accumulating debt, whether it's probably buying your car, paying for insurance, but also going to uni and then realizing I've got a fifty grand hex fee that's going to await me for the rest of my life, pretty much. <laughs> which I think, yeah, which I think people, you don't like, you hear about it, but you don't really comprehend it until it actually starts coming out of your bank account and you're realizing like life is kind of life's kind of life is kind of getting a little bit harder now it's really yeah I mean oh, sorry as soon as you turn 18 you can you can get a car loan you can get a credit card you can start opening buy now pay later accounts you can take on a hex debt you can get a personal loan, you can you can do a lot of damage once you turn 18 to your finances that can have a really lasting impact. Get Like getting into a massive amount of credit card debt when you're 18 and 19, if you don't have a way to pay it off, um, you, it can be something that can stay with you for the next 10, 20 years. And it can take a long time to sort of get credit cards off your back when they're at 20% interest per annum and they just keep growing and growing and growing. So I think, yeah, it probably... There is a sort of a big push, I think, to start teaching people these skills at sort of 16, 17 before they can um, start causing any financial damage to their uh, their 20s and 30s. Yeah, because I really think people, it's once they start making those mistakes, they realise in hindsight and they start to realise, oh, I should have done X, Y, and Z. Or mm. they start to think, well, kind of fresh out of high school, like a lot of, I know a lot of guys, myself included, just going out every weekend, spending mm. almost hundreds of dollars every weekend, but you don't really realise you're just adding on to more, more damage to your bank account. And then yeah, eventually, I and then without, I guess, without proper or basic budgeting, you kind of realise um, this particular night that I'm going out may determine what I'm going to do next weekend. I might not be able to see my friends because of, just thrown all my or two weeks of savings away, two weeks of salary away as well. Mm. 
And I think that's hard at 18 because we don't want to, we don't want to make any sacrifices. We don't want to be without, we want to, um, we want to be there every weekend with our friends and we don't want to miss out on these opportunities because um, I, I guess it's balancing that, that you only live once side of things where you want to do everything now with actually thinking a little bit about future you and just future you in your thirties when you're trying to sort of get into your career, maybe you want to buy a house. Do you want to be saddled with maybe 20 grand of credit card debt that you're trying to get off your back or a massive car loan? Um, do you want to be starting investing like in your twenties or do you want to leave it until your forties and sort of make the mistakes then? So I think it's important to balance enjoying the moment when you're in your twenties, but also thinking a little bit about your future self as well. Mm, well said, because it's easy to think on just one side of the spectrum where it's like, I don't really care. But on the other side, you can be too conservative and then you kind of miss out those moments with your friends as well. You just got to, got to be aware and just find that balance, which I think is really important. Yeah. Like most things in yeah. life. Yeah. Um, Everything needs balance. Most <laughs> things are not really good at extreme ends. Yeah, Finance exactly. included. Exactly. What kind of advice would you start off giving say a young 18 year old, what is like the kind of stepping stones when it comes to saving or investing or just getting, getting their heads around financial um, stability? Yeah. I think if I was talking to someone that's right out of school right now and maybe going to uni um, this week, what uni starts this week? Um, I think the first thing would be if they're not in debt, which I hope if you're just sort of, recently 18 you haven't sort of made your way into debt by now but um you might be if you have debt getting rid of that debt for most of the debts that are nasty you're thinking your credit card debts your car debts um your personal loans are pretty nasty um and even sort of if you can get off the buy now pay later train because i think that's it trains you into bad habits as well so if you have an after pay debt or is it debt or whatever this like 20 different companies that offer that service now um, sort of if you can start to think about paying that off and sort of closing down your account because I think it using afterpay at such a young age can really hook you onto the mentality of get the item now pay for it later where it really should be save up for this item over the next few weeks or months and then get the item so it's thinking about delayed gratification and learning that from the age of 18 is really important um, the next thing would be thinking about your emergency funds. So if you have a part-time job, uh, starting to put some money aside from each um, fortnight or monthly pay you get and trying to think what are three to six months of living expenses do I need? I mean, it's going to look very different for someone living out of home to someone living at home. Um, so thinking about putting some money aside so you've got a, at least a secure foundation to start from. Um, and then also thinking about if you are interested in investing and I I do think it's a good time to do as much learning as possible. Take the time while you've got it to start learning about the basics, um, learning about different types of investments, um, exchange-traded funds, shares, property. Uh, some people are really keen at, from a very young age to buy a house. So uh, make sure you do all your research before that. Um, there's some great podcasts and books out there. Make use of your library. Um, and then even just have a go once you've done lots of research, just dip your toe in the water and maybe consider investing small amounts on a regular basis um, and thinking about how you can take advantage of compound interest. And uh, is there a long-term goal you want to set for yourself? Do you want to be 
financially secure in the next 10, 20, 30 years? And what sort of path might you take to get there? And at the age of 20, you might only be putting like $50 a side a week, but over time you can start adding more and more and that can really have a crazy impact on your wealth over time. And I guess the other thing I'd say to an 18-year-old is actually set up a super account or you might already have one from a part-time job in high school. So you can actually go to the your MyGov, MyGov login and actually put your tax file number in and it will search if you have any lost super running around um, and just find a low-cost fund that's got... Um, look at their last 10 years of returns for that fund and have a look at the different investment options. You can choose from anything from a cash-only account, which uh, not advice, but it, it can be quite damaging to just put your money in cash over the next 40 years. Um, and, and you can have a look. There's balanced and high growth and different funds. So you can even give them a call and they'll talk you through the different options. So um, make sure you've sort of got one fund and you've every time you get a new part-time job or you take on a, a grad program or anything like this, they'll give you a form and you can fill it in and tell them what super fund you want your money to go to. And that's what you're going to have at retirement. That is so super. I think that's probably, yeah, some of my big things that I yeah. just, I'd do if I was 18 again. <laughs> it was, it was perfectly said the way you were almost, you know, chronologically going down the list, highlighting all those major points that are super super important to consider as well. But I want to circle back to the, one of your first points about um, afterpay and how, mm. like, I don't really, <laughs> it kind of, it kind of like annoys me a little bit when people say they'd rather do afterpay than pay for the whole thing. Like for me personally, if I have the money to buy um, whatever product, I'd rather just pay it straight away and then not worry about any other small little fines that apply and I think a lot of people really are just super are just super drawn to that I'll just pay one fourth one quarter of this cost each each week why do you think a lot of people are trending towards this afterpay payment method yeah, I've I've had a lot of debates with people because there's a lot of very varying views on the use of these buy now pay later tools, um, and I think one of the main things that people like about it is they call it a budgeting tool. So they're saying with Afterpay they can pay it in four installments. Um, when they get paid each fortnight, they can pay a quarter of this item, and it works with their budget, and they don't have to pay it all at once. Um, and that's and also the other thing is that well, Afterpay is a better alternative to a personal loan or a credit card. And I mean, I, if you have to have this item because you're buying like school supplies or something, you have to have it right now. I, I do agree that Afterpay is a better solution to going out and getting a credit card that you can do a lot more damage to yourself. If you if you get given a $20,000 credit limit on a credit card, that it can ruin the next 10 years. Where Afterpay, there are a lot lower limits and the other buy, but some of the buy now pay laters are popping up with really large limits there. There's new ones I'm seeing for different um, like short courses where you, the limits like thousands of dollars. So I, I don't know, it's a, it's a quickly evolving industry, but I think it's really important um, at a young age to learn that the concept of delayed gratification and that you can't have everything you want right now. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a podcast in the US that I really like, um, Paula Pant, her Afford Anything podcast. And she says that you can afford 
anything, but not everything. Um, and I think it's really about picking your priorities. So you, you might want five different things right now that are all expensive, but you're just going to have to pick one first and save up for that. You can't just have everything at once. And I think if you can get into that mindset from an early age where you say, this is my goal. I want to buy this laptop. I'm going to put $100 from every pay aside until I can save up and get the laptop. I think that's a really good skill to build from a young age because that'll put you in great stead over the next 10, 20, 30 years while you're saving and investing and building your wealth because you're not, you won't have that thing, I want it now, I want everything to happen at once. And it's a good behavior to get into as well for investing because you're going to need that long-term mindset uh, and you're going to have to be able to wait and um, work towards a goal over a very long period of time and not have everything happen right now. Yeah, that's really important what you said. It's more, it's more of a skill than anything. Like like going to the gym and kind of creating good habits. You kind of need good habits with your finance because it's easy to it's easy to spend all your money on a few items, and it's also so easy to accumulate debt in mm. almost and almost an instant. And then it's not like that. It's not like that debt can go away. Well, depending on what it is, that debt won't really go away as fast as what you paid for it as well. Yeah, I mean, with all the technology popping up, some of these like car loans and personal loans, they say, oh, approval within one minute or 30 seconds or five minutes. Uh, and that's it's a very quick to get that approval compared to the next five to 10 years you might spend paying off what you could rack your credit card up to. So I think it's really, yeah, when it comes to spending, thinking about, uh, yeah, that long-term impact and getting into that behavior from an early age is really, really helpful. And like you said about um, credit cards, I'm starting to hear and like read about a lot of people are just, there's no, there's not really a need for credit cards when you've got, you know, like a debit card that it works the same as a credit card, but just without the, without the add-on fees and whatnot, which I think. Yeah. I mean, some I think credit it's card fees to, are... yeah, it's starting to phase out pretty much. Yeah, the numbers of young people getting credit cards um, in general have been plummeting over the last few years. But then, like, I was looking at the annual report for um, Afterpay the other day, and they've just their number of customers is increasing dramatically. So people are jumping across to other platforms and technologies that are easy to use. And I think credit cards are not seen as that cool anymore. Um, but it, people are finding another product. So I think it's just being careful what finance tools you use and whether they're going to help you or harm you is a good thing to sort of assess before signing up for anything just because you can doesn't mean you should exactly it's almost it's almost like eating too many sweets if you've got a sweet tooth it's just it's just so it can be so easy to just indulge yourself with yeah everything in moderation (laughs) exactly that's so important because I don't think to circle back I don't think a lot of people see or understand finance is you know you need a bit of moderation bit of skill bit of experience as well to yeah develop that part of essentially your life because it can set you up or it can crumble your life depending on how how well you balance your finances Hmm. and there's always more to learn I mean even 
people that I, I meet, talk to in their fifties and sixties who have worked in finance their whole life, they're still learning and they're still growing and there's always new things changing and things to stay on top of. So it's definitely, uh, I would say a lifelong journey. It's not something you can just tick in the box. Um, yes, you can tick. Oh, I understand what a share is. And I know some of the basics of budgeting, um, but I think it's something you've got to think about. And like every year you're going to be wanting to set some goals and work towards that. So uh, I think you've just got to come to sort of the appreciation that money is part of life and you can really change the way you approach that and that's going to impact the way you think about money and the financial position you put yourself in over the next sort of 10, 20, 30 years. And that's It's so important to consider as well because you're almost setting yourself up for the future. Yeah, absolutely. And I and just think about like you want to look after yourself in the future. You want to pay yourself first. You want to put steps into place so you have an amazing future um, and you've got to balance that with what you want immediately and what you want now and what you want to happen overnight so I think it's yeah just really having a good think about what you want in the future and um, being able, working out a good way for you to balance the now and the future because mm. I don't think a lot of especially a lot of young people that they don't think about 50 years into the future when they're retired because, you know, mm. it's so far away for them. But in saying that, um, I was reading an article about the, as a crazy statistic, I can't remember exactly on how many elderly people are actually broke. They actually mm. go broke because they haven't, you know, they haven't got on top of their finances, which is really, it's really scary to think about because they're also saying the, um, the pension that they're on isn't suitable enough it's not like it's not enough for them to get by really which is really scary to think about yeah and I, I think 50 years as a 20 year old does sound insane to think about something that far out but if you talk to your grandparents or some elderly people in your community they'll probably say that those 50 years just flew by uh, it doesn't feel like that long ago that they were in their 20s too I mean my nan when I chat to her seems to think that her life's just flown by and that she recalls like with very clear memories her stories in her 20s um and so I think it's if you talk to some people that are a little bit older maybe that will help you gain a better appreciation for how quickly the time can pass and that you do want to put money aside because um it, it puts you in a really hard position when you're in your 80s and your 90s and you don't have that finance to look after you I mean who knows what's going to happen with the pension over the rest of our lifetimes. So I think it's important not to be dependent on any one thing in life and have different options. And, and money does do that. Money gives you options and it gives you choices. And it might be what medical treatment you have or when you can stop working or um, where you have to live. And so thinking about what options do you want to have when you're older, things, it might be easy to live on a very small amount right now, but it, it becomes harder as you have more things um, going on in your life as you get older. So yeah, if you put some things aside now, um, you can really well and truly look after yourself. And I recommend going back to the money smart compound interest calculator to see that it doesn't take putting aside a lot now to look after yourself in the future. Because mm -hmm. when you do get to the future, the only guarantee thing that you lose is time. And then you, yep. you end up, you end up not having enough time to properly um, correct all your financial situation as well yeah it gets it gets harder and harder to change the direction of your financial future as you get older 
Like it's not impossible. People in 40s, 50s and yeah. 60s have turned their finances around, but it just becomes that much harder, that much more work to make changes as you get older. So, yeah, yeah start early. <laughs> Couldn't agree with you more, Kate. Um, I really appreciate you jumping on. Um, Sorry, just hit a cup. Yeah. Down there. <laughs> so, that's all good. Um, let everyone know where they can find you on your socials and, of course, How To Money podcast, which I really encourage anyone who is interested in finance to check out. Yeah, absolutely. It was great to chat to you. Yep. I have a How To Money podcast and I also co-host the Australian Finance Podcast if you want to dive into shares and investing a little bit more. And then uh, my website is howtomoney.online and I'm Instagram at howtomoneyaus, I think. Um, so yeah, All right. uh, happy to chat if you want to send any questions. No worries. We'll definitely keep on track, keep you on the loop. Kate, I really appreciate everything of the time you've given us today and I'll speak to you in the future. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Luke. No worries. Thank you, Kate.